Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. My name's Elias Randall. I'm the co-host of the show, and the host is here, Roger Abel. But he was nice enough to let me do the introduction of the show today. Um, kind of as a joke at the beginning of the year, I told him that was one of my goals for this year was I want you to let me uh, do the do the introduction to the show. And typical Roger fashion, he just goes, no, we're not doing that. So I worked really hard all year. And then today he said, okay, today's your time to shine. You can you can do the intro to the show. And today we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to take a look back at 2021 and some of our hot topics. We talked about financial weathermen, guys like Harry Dent making predictions. We talked a lot about inflation. We talked a lot about uh, cryptocurrency and meme stocks. So, and then um, and then just other trending things in, in our business, the financial services business. Um, no, Elias, you did a great job in the intro. Um, I'm happy you did it. I was thinking back, so we've been doing this over a year, and I think you were the only person I had on the show this year. I don't think we had anybody else on any show and for all of 2021. That's Yeah, that might be true. You've officially ingrained yourself into your chair right there. It's going to be hard to remove you. Uh, but we had a fun year. I mean, this is fun for me. We And, you know, we have some accomplishments. It, it's not always easy to do this, but we never missed a week. We never missed a show. Um, sometimes it was a struggle to get it done, and Molly wasn't thrilled with us about the last-minute shenanigans. But I think we did a pretty good job. And like you said, it'll be fun to look back on some of the hot topics. And I know the first person here for you, you've had the most fun with this year. Yeah, so I'll I, let you introduce this person. Okay, and so I'm going to call him. This was the my personal financial weatherman, weatherman of the year, and for the listeners. So we tend to, people that make market predictions, we call them financial weathermen. That's kind of a, a topic we come back and forth. Why to. do we call them? Why do we call them financial weathermen? Well, predicting financial listened. markets is just like predicting the weather. No one actually really knows what's going to happen. And if you're wrong. Apparently, just nobody cares. Yeah, and you can be wrong a thousand times, like Harry Dent is wrong all the time, and then you're right once, and somehow you're you're a big time hero the one time you're right. Um, so anyway, Harry Dent he's predict the biggest crash ever four times this year that we know of. It could be more than that. Um. You know, and in typical Harry fashion, he makes a big, bold prediction. He actually did threaten to quit his job this year. Didn't He was supposed to move away, but he already moved away, right? He was going to quit and move to, um, like, Puerto Rico or something, but he already lives there, so I thought that one was really funny. Um, but, yeah, it was like at the end of the spring, he said, if the market doesn't correct by June, I'm just going to quit, and you won't hear from me ever again. Um, and he's just a really good example of, so let's talk about Harry Dent, what he's really trying to do. Harry Dent sells subscriptions to a newsletter and he sells books. He's not a financial advisor. He doesn't run any sort of mutual fund um, or an ETF. So he really, his whole, the, his whole motive is how can I scare people into buying my books? At least that's my opinion of him. And at one point, so everybody knows he did have a mutual fund or a hedge fund of some kind, which got shut down because of massive underperformance. Yeah. I mean, he just couldn't guess right. And we talk about that all the time. Nobody has a crystal ball. We don't know when they're going to be right. He'll be right eventually. 
We just don't know when. Don't know when. One of the most ironic things about one of his predictions, I think this is the one he did in July. He said there's going to be a crash in, I think it was by August 2021, but by 2023, it's all going to be okay. It'll be fully recovered by 2023. And it got me to think, well, why does it even matter if you made the prediction then? Because most people, if they just didn't do anything, you just told them they're going to be okay. So why do you actually have to time the market? Because if someone's following Harry Dent right now, they probably got out of the market one, two, three years ago, and they've been sitting in cash ever since because this guy's telling them, you know, buy one of his recommendations back in April is buy the long-term bond. I don't know if anybody's seen what bond rates and yields have done recently, but that's gone down in value, arguably one of your safest investments. Um, so it's one of the things we talked about Harry a lot this year. So I think it's good to just remind people, know who you're getting your information in. Remember the key things to being successful. You can't time the market. People are going to predict things, find out what the background is and find out what narrative they're trying to push because most people are pushing a narrative. Let's be honest. Our show, we have a narrative we're trying to push, right? And it's strictly, we want people to create a well-crafted financial plan to move themselves from, to move themselves to the probabilistic world. There's no emotions there. We can live there and make great financial decisions. That's our narrative has nothing to do with beating a market, timing a market, making a prediction, because we don't know. We're smart enough to know that we don't know. So we're the opposite of Harry Dent. Yeah, we well, we are. And so, you know, we have a narrative, too. But honestly, if I thought Harry Dent's advice was better than ours, I'd be the first to admit it. Because I'm it. I'm fairly self like, you know, I think we're kind of self-reflective. Like if I thought Harry Dent had better advice than we did, I'd be the first person to say that. But I think his advice is garbage. And I don't mean to actually I do mean to be mean to him. But oh, uh, anyway, well, it goes back to I remember when we did the financial weatherman show and I had the little clip of Larry David from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. And he got mad at the weatherman. That's what it actually, Elias, you were the one who came up with the phrase, I think, financial weatherman. I'm not sure how it came, but we came up with it one day, and we're going to live with that because we like to talk about financial weathermen. Um, and one of the, another big thing that happened this year is um, we talked to clients a lot about this going into 2021 was the effect on the election, right? We had a mm-hmm. new president, new administration, and there was a percentage of clients out there who really thought everything was going to come tumbling down Yeah, and from a market standpoint. And we had to do a lot of coaching as to why the president doesn't really necessarily control what happens with the stock market. It has more to do with monetary policy. Yeah, and actually, just the other day in a review meeting, um, someone made the comment, well, everything's going great uh, up until Biden. He's up until Biden ruins it. He's going to ruin it. And I made the comment to that person that financial markets, whether going well or going not so well, the president always gets too much credit. Presidents really don't have an impact on the capital markets or the financial markets. Um, And like we talk about monetary policy and things like that have a much greater impact, but people kind of, it's odd, but people kind of keep score that way. So you know, when, if a president is in for four years and the market does really good, they always get credit for that. 
if they're in for four years and the market doesn't do so well, they also get credit for when it, it doesn't do so well. And it really, it's a much, when they become president has much more to do with the overall returns than anything, anything market related. Well, what's interesting is we have the motto, it's never as good as it seems and never as bad as it seems. And everybody thought that was anti-Biden or of the other political party that, you know, stricter COVID restrictions and policies was going to hurt the markets. Reversing tax cuts would hurt the markets. Um, climate change would have negative impact on the stock market. Now, climate change has maybe had negative impact on gas prices, but it hasn't affected the stock market. In fact, energy investments are actually up. As we're filming the show, the S&P 500 since Biden has been elected is 25%. And our job is not to be political or take a political side. Our job is to help people filter out the information that's relevant to help them be financially successful, regardless of what the political affiliation is. Um, another one that people are very, very concerned about was the student loan relief, uh, where uh, Biden stated he was going to forgive $10,000 of student loan debt during the election process. Well, guess what? That hasn't hurt the markets. The coronavirus resurgent, um, Delta was the most um, transmissible, I guess, up until Omicron now. It wasn't able to derail the market. Many were really concerned about the impact it would have on the economy. They thought we'd do shutdowns again. I think this country's not doing shutdowns. I just saw the, um, the Democratic governor of Colorado came out and said, we're not going to have any more mandates, no mass mandates. If you haven't gotten gotten uh, vaccinated, that's your problem. They've moved on from it. So I think as a country, it's going to be very hard to ever go back and say, hey, we're going to shut down like we did before. I, I don't was, think people are going to live that way. That, that'd be to me. That would be a, a tough sell after everyone did it for so long. We've already dealt with it for two years. And there's right. way better ways to deal with it. You can be vaccinated. There's I think um, who just had the pill that that they're releasing. Um, I Pfizer, don't remember who. Yeah, I heard I think something Pfizer just about. released a pill that that's supposed to help if you get get covid. So there's a lot of things we have to deal with the problem now that I just don't think we're going to lead to um, mass shutdowns. Now, I'm not going to predict that because I don't know. But if we look at most of the things out there, I think it's unlikely from the sentiment of people. One of the biggest things we've seen this past year, which I think caught a lot of people by surprise, is um, we've had some pretty substantial inflation happen. As we're doing the show, the Consumer Price Index, which is the annual rate of inflation, from October 2020 to October 21, was up 6.2%. And I think most people have seen inflation affect their life at some level. Well, and the other thing to go along with that is, you know, every time, so at one time, and I think the big, remember the word transitory all year, inflation was transitory. And then now at the end of the year, kind of the feeling is it's not transitory anymore. And there's been, um, there's been a lot of debate, whether it's going to be permanent inflation, transitory inflation. There are some people who make arguments for uh, deflation, which I don't think a lot of a lot of people might have a hard time wrapping their mind around that. But I think the bottom line is, I mean, it's happening. Prices of everything are going up. Um, hopefully, 
hopefully as you know prices of everything goes up people are seeing some inflation in their wages too well, wage wage inflation's already happened that's one of the reasons yeah. we're seeing inflation and i think the biggest place people feel or see inflation are really two places one is the grocery store i can tell you we had we did a show about this a few months ago i used to go in the grocery store for 150 200 bucks now it's 300 Right. Mac and cheese is a buck and a half or two bucks a box. It used to be like 39 cents. So grocery store, the single place and people see it because they know people or they have this asset is in house, home, home and house prices. Everybody in, in I don't care who you are, if you own a home, you've looked up the value of your home and you're like, man, I can't believe I could sell it for that. We know multiple people this has happened to or you have the friend who sold this house because he couldn't believe he'd get that. And now he can't buy another place because he forgot if I sell something, I have to buy something and there's not a deal. And we had the discussion of why we believe home prices probably won't come down. They're only going to come down if people decide to sell the house they just bought for less money. And the and only way they're doing hard, that, they don't yeah, have a job. To me, that's a hard proposition. I don't, I just don't see that happening. It's recency bias. They think back to 08 and 09 and just saw home prices come down. So like, it's going to happen again. If you go to YouTube, which we spend time on YouTube, housing crash, you know, that's all the clickbait is housing crash. And this is why the real estate market's overvalued. Well, in 08 and 09, when you're able to go get a loan that you probably shouldn't have been able to get, that caused that problem. What's the cause to this? What's the cause and effect that somebody would have to be forced to sell their home? I don't know. Right there's been now? so much yeah, money. I don't kicked, know either. There's been so much money kicked into the economy. Think about I had this talk to my wife last night. You had PPP loans, you had stimulus checks. I mean, in 2021, most people, 2020, 2021, unless you were in the service industry, you probably did fairly well financially if you don't lose your job. Better than you have ever done. Because exactly. we're sending money out to people, people on social security, they got stimulus checks, people just have more money. So it's hard for me to, to really think that home prices are coming down, or we're going to have this massive crash. I just don't know if that will happen. Because the only way it happens is if somebody's willing to sell their asset for less than what they paid for. And that only happens if they're forced to do it. Yeah. And the other, so the other part of, so home inflation, we're all feeling that inflation at the gas pump you know gas is more expensive now and that's one that people always people always really feel and notice that one um you know what and food and energy aren't even part of the cpi so the increase in food and increase in gas isn't even part of that cpi and the gas prices increased we're still not to where we were like in the like mid and late 2000s i know i always I think remember, that too i'm like it's still pretty cheap i mean i was paying like four and a half bucks a gallon back then and now you're yeah. paying three. I did like the prices two years ago better, but I remember I still remember gas <sighs> being higher than it is now. Yeah, I, so I get it. It's higher than it was two or three years ago, but it's not what it was ten. I remember those days. Um, I wanted so, to bring up one other thing because I went back into the show archives. It took you a while to pull those slides up. Yeah, the internet's not working internet's not working that great today, but um. So inflation, I've been trying to think, and I remember we did a show where we went through like each decade and kind of what was the inflation environment, how did equities do, how did fixed income investments do. So I went back to that show just because I was trying to remember what decade has inflation been high like this. And I know the 70s has that reputation. So the annual inflation rate throughout the decade, so this would be 70 to 79, 
was 7.37%. It's one of the only times where inflation actually outpaced um, the annualized return of the S&P 500. But does that mean, so then the other point I wanted to make, does that mean that's going to happen again? Well, the other part of probably when you're thinking about that, the short-term interest rate at that time was over 8%. And the rate, and then, uh, and the rate on U.S. Treasury bills was six point three one percent average throughout that decade. So, even though I thought, I guess sometimes people think, well, let's look at a time this has happened, but our interest rates being as higher like they were back then, that makes does that make this quite a bit different? No, this time in this era, not really, because the interest rates will follow if we have persistent inflation. So that's already the talk with the Fed is hey. We're probably going to start tapering sooner, raise rates sooner. All those things are already being talked about. They'll just, the Fed will just raise interest rates like they did in the 70s to get to where they need to go. Right. I haven't like, heard anyone projecting interest rates over 8%, though. Well, because no one's predicting inflation at 7.3. If we were predicting inflation at 7.3, you'd start to see interest rates go with that. That's a cause and effect. You're not going to have, there. I, I find it hard to believe that the Fed's going to let the, the inflation rate run at six and a half percent and we're going to keep interest rates near zero. That's bad. They will raise rates if that happens. Right. We, but you got to look back. What's the last decade of, um, do you have that slide up right there? Mm -hmm. What was 2010 to, or 2010 to 2020? What was the inflation rate? Probably sub 2%, one, nine, two, one. Annual inflation rate from January 1st, 2010 to December 31st, 2019. 1.75. Okay, so 1.75. So that, that's the normalized. And if you look at the decade before that, it was probably similar. What's 2000, 2010? 2000, 2010, 2.52% annual okay. inflation rate. So we've ran the last 20 years, we've averaged around a 2% inflation rate. So we're expecting that. And that's the target of the Fed is to keep inflation around 2%. Just because we had one year where it's 6.2 doesn't mean they're massively going to going to change monetary policy in one failed swoop. It's going to take them time to get there. They're going to see what inflation actually looks like as we normalize, because here's one of the big issues. We've had all the su supply chain backups that's causing prices to go up. It, this is economics 101, supply and demand. If there's not enough supply and there's more demand, prices go up. Kathy Woods brought this up in like a recent article. At some point, everybody's going to have everything they need and all these companies overordered and we're actually going to start to have excess supply, which causes prices to come down. Buddy of mine's a car dealer. I talked to him the other day. He goes, yep, we're going to have to start changing our pricing policy because we're starting to have cars that are sitting here longer than a day or two. He's like, we're going to have to start offering some deals. So, right, so it's early, it's early, it's but early, it's happening. But he's like, we're already going to have to. And he said, we're going to have to start evaluating the trade-in values of cars differently because the book is so out of whack with the trade-in values worth because there is no supply. He goes, the book might say it's X. We might have to offer 10 or 15% below the book value just to protect ourselves as the prices come down, as supply sits longer. So I've already, you know, that's not, you'd only know that by talking to a car guy. Right. But we had a discussion about that. He's like, hey, I used to not have any cars in the lots. And I talked to him three months ago. He goes, you know, if you've got a late model truck and you want to trade right now, I'm not going to sell you a car because there's people who actually need the truck for work and companies need farmers need these trucks. He goes, if you're an old boy, he works, he's in the country. He goes, if you're an old boy with a 2019 and you just want to trade to get a new one, you're going to be out of luck. Yeah. Well, 
I sent him a message he's this morning. Got to keep everyone happy. Well, I sent him the message this morning because he's got a truck I like. I go, "Are you going to sell me this one?" And I haven't heard back, so I'm kind of testing him to see. You're getting no. He might tell me no, but I figured that would be like the litmus test to see mm-hmm. if things breaking loose a little bit. So inflation and, and inflation actually has been more of a the past six months. It's come to the forefront. But one of the biggest stories of this year were really two things, crypto and meme stocks and crypto has been on a wild ride all year, especially some of the more obscure names in crypto like Dogecoin, Shibu Inu, obviously Bitcoin's in there. Um and one of the, one of the, the biggest events this year is Elon Musk uh, in February tw- tweeted Doge, just D-O-G-E, and it went up 60%, just like that. I wish um, I could do that. I wish I had that power. Yeah. I, I tweet something, nobody reacts or responds. I, I don't know. Do I tweet things, Molly? I do tweet? I don't know. Um, China announce real-world trials of its own government-sponsored digital currency. So the theme for this year is digital currencies come to the forefront. We talked about this in the last episode. We don't know where it's going. There are two, I mean, completely opposite camps here. There's one camp that believes this digital currency will be the currency of the future. And then there's another camp made up of Jamie Dimon, uh, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, it's completely worthless. There's no utility. It's going to zero. And that, that's the truth. There are two opposite sides. What that tells us all, we don't really know. And nobody really knows. And it's okay to make your own opinion about where this is actually going to go. But if you look at Bitcoin, and this is kind of the takeaway from this segment, it's volatile. Bitcoin shot to mid, shot to $68,000 um, earlier this year, went back below thirty. Back to 64, now it's at 47. So you look at those swings, that's 100% up, 50% down, 100% up, 35% down. I mean, that's really volatile for most people to actually sit back and watch and uh, well, invest and that goes, in. Yeah, and that goes to something we talk about all the time, market timing. Well, I don't believe in... I don't believe in market timing, and I'm not a buyer of any crypto, but I can tell you if I was... If I thought Bitcoin was a good place, and by me saying this, I'm talking about me personally, I'm not making a generalization for other people. If I was going to be a buyer of Bitcoin, I would buy systematically, either once a week or every month. I would be on a systematic buying plan. I wouldn't try and make my buying decisions based on um, based on the price move it or trying to time it. That's a good point. And really what that is, that's just good investor behavior in general. You could apply that, Elias, to cryptocurrency, your 401k, mutual funds. You could apply it to real estate. You could say, hey, I'm going to buy one rental house each year. Instead of going out and buying five at once, I'm going to buy or one every three months or whatever it is and kind of layer into the cost so you're not stuck buying at the top or you know maybe you bought at the bottom, but you're not stuck always buying at the top. I think that's a good strategy just in general for investing um people to follow. If we dollar cuts, dollar cost averaging is really what it is, a systematic plan. Um, the other big thing with blockchain this year is we there's actually a Bitcoin ETF now released October 18th. Um, it trades under the symbol BITO, B-I-T-O, and allows investors to get access to Bitcoin um, via security trades like a stock instead of having to go to uh, 
you know, do, go to a coin exchange or open a wallet or all the other things that have made it um, a little bit more difficult to actually transact in Bitcoin for some of the general public. The last thing we're going to talk about in this, we talked about a bunch and it's funny because we're starting to see it unwind a little bit, but meme stocks were the craze in January of this year and remind everybody listening what the major meme stocks this, this year were. So I believe this all started with the GameStop trade, right? Because it was like they had the, the what's that Reddit board called? Um, Wall Street Bets. Wall Street Bets. They did the short squeeze on the game on the GameStop stock, and that's when the phrase that's when we all started talking about meme stocks, right? And Roaring Roaring Kitty came to the to the forefront. If you remember Kitty, Roaring Kitty, he, he was up, doing yeah. the podcast on GameStop, he AMC. Yeah, he was kind of the the catalyst of all that, and um, so what, it was GameStop, and then AMC kind of took off after that. What was the other big one? Well, there's actually a bunch. Basically, there's a list of like 25. Some of the big ones that are in there, um, and I have the list of the 25 and what they've done um, since the peak. The peak was January of uh, 2021. I think it was January 24th. Uh, but some of the big ones were AMC, GameStop, Peloton, Robinhood, um, uh, Riot Blockchain. I'm looking through Tilray, SoFi, uh, Beyond Meat, Virgin Galactic, Penn National Gaming. So these are the stocks that just ran up really fast based upon just rumors or people banding together on a board. And GameStop was the one we all heard about because basically... They put a short squeeze on a bunch of hedge funds. They did it through Robinhood. Robinhood halted trading, didn't let them empty their positions. So there's a whole kind of conspiracy theory about this. And we we talked about this. When something goes up in value, it's worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Just like tulip mania. Someone's willing to pay $70,000 for a tulip, then it's worth it at that, that point in time. But if you looked at the underlying fundamentals of a lot of these companies, there's just absolutely no reason they would be trading at those levels. I mean, if, yeah, and if you think the future of video games is a brick and mortar building that people go into to buy the disc, Coin you could be long GameStop then. Coincidentally enough, those meme stocks, there's a basket of 25 of them. We can post the link um, on, our, on our website. They're down 25% basically since the top. And let me, let me tell you how the far. The entire group. The entire group. Okay. Um, last week, GameStop was down 13% alone um actually i was down 13 percent just last monday so it's not like this was a long time coming it, it's starting to unwind and i think amc one of their insiders unloaded like nine million dollars worth of his share so insiders are you know the president of the company people <laughs> who run the company one of the insiders has zero shares he sold everything if why wouldn't if, he why wouldn't he that's i mean he did it all legally you know, he disclosed everything he was doing. He told people like three months in advance, I'm selling all of my shares. They're gone. What does that tell the average investor? If the people that run the company don't have skin in the game, do they believe in that st that stock price? It should. Yeah, it should signal that the people that know the most about the business don't believe it's worth that And it's much. probably what's triggering some of the selling, right? There's a certain amount of people that said, okay, look, how long are we going to do this? Like we could have diamond hands forever. Or maybe I'll just take some profit. And as one person takes profit, what happens? The next person could be like, man, I want to take my profit. And then I want to take mine. And it's just a spiraling downward 
pressure on the stock. So here's a few of the big ones, how much they're down. Riot Blockchain down 45%. It uh, lost $1.4 billion of market cap. Robinhood down 44%. It's lost $14 billion of market cap. AMC down 42%. Lost $8.6 million of market cap. GameStop down 32%. It's lost $4.8 million, $4.8 billion of market cap. So the list goes on and on and on. And there's two other names in here that, that caught me by surprise. And we didn't even talk about this, but DraftKings and Penn National Gaming. We talked about this during COVID. People got bored and they took on this gambling mentality. My question yeah, is, is people like, are getting back to their normal job and they're not getting a stimulus check and all this different stuff that's happening and their time is being consumed with what their life was like pre-COVID. Is it putting just tons of pressure on all of these companies because the transactions aren't there. People aren't gambling as much. People aren't day trading as much. If you're home during COVID and you had to work out your house, you had nothing else to do but day trade. But now if you're back working at JP Morgan and you're sitting in the office, are you day trading at work? No, no. And that, I, I think that does have something to do with it. And I think s sports getting back to normal and sports gambling open up, opening up back to normal. Cause there was a time, and I remember we talked about it on an episode, that it almost seemed like stock market gambling like took the place of sports gambling yeah. because we just we, there was no sports to bet it, on for a while. But here's what's interesting about this. DraftKings is down 28%. Penn National Gaming is down 18%. Their revenues are down too. My question is, are we seeing the unwind at some level of this gambling mentality as people realize... It's not that easy to make money. I mean, seriously. People like to gamble. I mean, it may be temporarily. People like to gamble. But people stock, like buying lottery tickets. I guarantee, but the stock price yeah. says different. The stock yes. price says we're not as profitable at some level. So my question is, people have started day trading in the last six months because they've been watching TikTok and all this other stuff about how I can have 200% returns, all this crazy stuff that can't happen. The people that started the last six months, how much money have they made? They probably lost money. They probably if lost money. If you're chasing money. a lot of this stuff, you've probably lost money. Between transaction fees, they probably lost money, partly because the market's fairly flat the last six months. Yeah. In 2020, when it when the Dow Jones is at 18,000, it goes back to 29 or 30. Yeah, it's pretty hard to not make money. Day trading's easy. Everything goes up. I remember uh, David Portnoy made the comment, everything just goes up. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it does when the market goes up. But now you get a little sideways market. It becomes harder. And so begs the question, as people realize this day trading isn't quite as easy, is it the same thing with gambling? Like, you know, I'm just not going to do this anymore. And I'm going to use myself as an example. I don't remember this year or last year. It was the first year you could bet in Iowa on on uh, through like an app on your phone. I had MGM Grand app. Well, the first like four or five games of the year, I was like four or five weeks of the football season. Like, oh, this is awesome. Then I didn't make a bet. Till two weeks ago against the Nebraska game, a Hawkeyes Nebraska. Like I took the rest of the year off. Like the novelty begins to wear off of what somebody could actually do. And you're like, well, that's not really that much fun losing 300 bucks on a couple of like Hawkeye bets because they can't score a touchdown. So I, <laughs> yeah, I personally would never, I have never and I would never bet on Iowa. Being an Iowa sports fan, like, I'm using the, it the as disappoint. A, I know. But I'm using it as an analogy. I don't like, want to compound my disappointment. 
eventually like the novelty of being able to do it wears off just like anything that's yeah, new like oh man I this is new and fun and then oh yeah by the way like that wasn't that much fun and i can't beat the house and i can't win the odds aren't in my favor so i, I slowed down that. my gambling so i don't know it's been a fun year it'll be really exciting to see what happens in 2022 i don't know about you but i feel like this year just flew by i can't believe it we're closing it up um with that i want to Thank everybody for tuning in in 2021, all your support. If anybody's looking for help kind of getting your financial house in order before the end of the year, you can go to btwellshow.com, click ask an advisor. We have a contact button there. We're happy to help you get going. I know for some people, we're going to start New Year's resolutions. If you don't have a financial plan, whether you do with us or somebody else, you should make that resolution part of your financial plan in 2022. Um, and there's no better time now than to kind of get the ball rolling. You have any closing comments for the year, Elias? Uh, yeah. So for me, I think kind of how I the theme of 2021 and how I'm going to round kind of round out this year. And maybe one of my messages is, you know, a lot of this stuff we talked about was I consider distractions. And someone actually asked me the other day because we were, we're talking about crypto and I don't I'm not an expert on it. I know a decent amount about it. And they asked, they go, so why don't. Why don't you buy it? And my answer is, is maybe I'm old school, maybe I'm old fashioned, but I just believe for my long-term wealth, there's a better place for my money. Um, and I've already decided I'm not a buyer. And I think for me that to end this year and next year, the sphere of control we've been talking about, like that's what I'm gonna focus on, um, you know, and not market trends and all this stuff. So some of these things we talked about, don't let, if they're distracting you, don't ignore this stuff. Ignore the noise. Get a financial plan. Start buying a good portfolio. Um, do it for a really long time because you can control those things. Um, I think you'll probably be happy with the results. I think that's a good message. I'd like to wish everybody a happy new year. Thanks for listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.